Inspiration Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Welcome back. All right, so here's our Torah portion, Shoftim, which is Judges. And I put on here the passages that I think are going to be important as it concerns not just the footsteps of Messiah, but how the footsteps of Messiah will actually begin shaking the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. And we call them heavenlies, but if it helps without getting too new agey or, you know, whatever, think of them as realms. And realm is not a bad word. I think realm, if we say heavens, we tend to think of it in a linear fashion, like, okay, here's this one, this one, this, and they're stacked up on top of one another. In a sense, they kind of are, but realms don't work that way. So it's it's too limited to simply look at it as heavens stacked up on top of one another. Because when we're talking about something outside of our own realm, we're talking about something that we have not yet experienced. And so it, it may not be as linear as we're imagining. Thanks. So let's take a look at some of these passages. Let's start with Deuteronomy 16, 18. And we're going to link together the, the importance of having judges with kind of extending that, that principle of authority, divine authority, and seeing how it extends out into the heavenlies. Because there are realms out there that we can't see. We don't necessarily experience them. Or if we do, it's we don't see that direct link. And often we'll go around blaming Satan on this and that. And as it turns out that we're under the jurisdiction of a principality or power. And actually what we're probably encountering sometimes is just the residue of living under that assigned principality or power that has been put in place by Adonai. And, And we'll look at why do, they, why do they need to be there? Why did he need to put certain angels in charge of certain things, like the Prince of Persia? Especially if they seem to be as, a, you know, we want to be delicate here, but he was a little contrary when Daniel started praying. Let's unpack some of that. Let's find out why was the Prince of Persia so contrary? Does that mean that he was rebelling against God? Or does it maybe mean he was doing exactly what Adonai had assigned him to do? But once we learn the characteristics of angels and how they function, they're a little bit differently than mankind. We're we're more multitaskers, even though we have limited ability, you know, to cross to these realms that the angels do at this time in our history. Nevertheless, they they are, I don't want to say programmed, but they were created to be a lot more single-minded than we are in terms of carrying out a mission or a message, a task. And so often we have a hard time wrapping our minds around how they work because we can't really see them. Sometimes we just sense there's an obstacle in our way and we'll start casting out demons and devils and stuff. And actually that's just a a divinely appointed being who might be obstructing you for a reason. It, It might be trying to redirect you. You might be on the wrong path. And sometimes he takes us out in the wilderness to test us. And so the people we perceive as adversaries and enemies, Adonai brought us to that place to test us with those very people and, and situations. And so if we start running around, you know, casting out demons and stuff, it's it's kind of foolish because he put that there to test you to see what your reaction would be. We don't always know what the point of the obstacle is. At any rate, we're going to try to tie these things together because it has to do with heavenly authority. So Deuteronomy 16, 18, it says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice, shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Sounds like very practical advice, but remember, the land that the Lord your God is giving you is not just the the geographical boundaries of the land of Israel. That promise, going back to the time of Abraham, is a promise of resurrection and being restored to the Garden of Eden. And this is a place that not every human being in the Messianic kingdom will be privileged to live in. 
nor will they be privileged to pass back and forth between the natural realm and the Garden of Eden. So this is a necessary thing if, if we're going to prepare ourselves for that full inheritance. Because remember, we can't drag injustice into the Garden of Eden. We won't last any longer than Adam and Eve did. So we're practicing, we're rehearsing now. And part of this rehearsal is to appoint judges and officers. And they are supposed to judge with righteous judgment. Uh, let's go on to Deuteronomy 17.8. It says, if any case arises requiring a decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that your Lord, your God will choose. All right, that arising phrase, that should make you think of a couple of things. Anytime you go to Jerusalem, you go up. From Jerusalem, everywhere else is down. Also, when you look at someone arising, you uh, want to think in terms of spiritual awakening or resurrection. So the promise here is that there will be a place where the Lord your God will choose, Jerusalem. And if there are difficult cases, then we are to resort to Jerusalem, which goes back to the passage in Deuteronomy 16, that you may live and inherit the land that your Lord your God is giving you, not just the physical geographical land of Israel. In the Messianic kingdom, Jerusalem is going to be, there's going to be a marriage there between uh, a spiritual and the natural realm. And the tribes of Israel are going to judge at the 12 gates of Jerusalem. And so out there in the nations, if there's difficult cases that will arise, they will go up to Jerusalem and they will seek righteous judgment there from righteous judges. He says, you shall come to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office in those days, those days. So there will be particular days in our history. You shall consult them and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. See how he's pulling. Yeah, you're going to have local magistrates and so forth. But ultimately, he's prophetically preparing us during the kingdom of Messiah to go up to Jerusalem where Messiah, Yeshua will be king. And then, you know, if we qualify, we will rule and reign with him. If we rule and reign with him, that means that we will be restored to that original plan to be the judges of the nations. He says, you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. You shall purge the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. Right. So that's, that sounds pretty stiff, pretty stiff penalties for not listening to a judge. And so many times we reject a human judge and say, oh, they make mistakes. Well, of course they do. They're human judges. But you are preparing, you are rehearsing now with human judges, because if you can't submit to an authority right now that you can see, then imagine in the kingdom where you know you've excused obedience because you said this was an imperfect judge, and so you have acquired a habit of rebellion and doing your own thing and acting presumptuously, as it's translated. And so now, it's it, the penalty level goes way up. You'll die if you don't do what they say to do. If if they're advising on a certain matter and you don't do it, you die. Dying is separation. Um, so you want to practice like you intend uh, the reality to be. All right. So let's look at this one, Deuteronomy 18.9. And again, it goes back, just taking us back to the land of Israel. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn 
to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, or anyone who practices divination, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Right? So if you've ever dabbled in that, or if you are dabbling in that, if you're reading your horoscope, if you're reading astrology books, um, you know, if, if you're into some sort of mysticism from the East, then you need to forego that right now. You just need to make up your mind right now. Whatever I, the beauty that I see in that is deceitful. Let me drop that and let me turn back to the Torah. He says, because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations, which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Right Now, it doesn't mean that he's saying it's okay for the nations to do it. He's just saying they're doing it. And they're doing it, as we're going to talk about in the lesson today, the reason that they're doing it is because of a fundamental misunderstanding of principalities and powers and um, the practice of idolatry. Often we're practicing idolatry and we don't realize it. But in the end, idolatry is following your own self-will as opposed to, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Father's will be done. When we don't agree with the will of the Father, then we try to figure out a way to pursue our own will. And so an, a misunderstanding of the role of these principalities of powers caused the nations to turn to them as sources of power, which they do have. They do have some or they would be turning to them. But it's appointed power. It's appointed authority. And they are created beings. Um, I think I used the example in the newsletter. It's like, you know, if mom and dad won't give a child a particular toy or something that he wants, he says, well, okay, mom and dad don't want me to have it, but that doesn't mean I can't have it. So he goes to the next door neighbor and says, hey, you know, may I have this or may I borrow this or whatever it is mom and dad told him he couldn't have. Well, he'll go to a stranger and ask for this thing from a stranger because does the stranger have the power to give the child the object or the toy or whatever, or the, the privilege? Yeah, but that's not their child. And so he's saying, this is the difference between Israel's relationship uh, that you can look at the nations and see the mistakes that they've made rather than go directly to their creator and submit their will to him, they will go to his appointed beings and try to tap into their power because they do have an interest in the principality that they are set over. But you can see the twisting there. He says, Israel, you especially, you need to look at this and, and say, this is not, never going to happen with us because our Elohim looks after us personally. Uh, he looks over the land of Israel personally. He looks over his people personally. He doesn't allow these principalities and powers to babysit them, so to speak. Not going to send them to the neighbors for babysitting. He's, his eyes are constantly over his land. And if you were his in covenant, then his eyes are constantly upon you. He's not going to leave you in the care of another. And because of that special privilege, that you have, you also have a special obligation to avoid turning to these principalities and powers who are not your parents. They're not your father. And yes, do they have power? Can they cause a little bit of trouble in your life? Yes, but only that which they are permitted and authorized by your father to do. They can't go outside of that. There is a hedge of protection around you. And so if you're meeting obstacles, adversaries, you know, it seems like there's enemies and so forth. If you are serving him, there's, there's, they can only go as far as he tells them they are permitted to do. And that's why we have to be careful of reviling angelic majesties because they might be doing what they were told to do. 
And in reviling the, the angelic majesty, you might actually be reviling the one who sent that angelic majesty to put that obstacle in your place to test you to see what was in your heart. And I know that's a big responsibility for us, but it goes with the title, Israel. It, it goes with the territory, so to speak, because this territory is not like the territory of the nations. You are his personal, chosen, precious possession. Okay, this one is not from the Haftar portion this week, but I, I think it uh, illustrates what we're trying to say, that the way we prepare today learning the word, uh, learning to rightly divide the word, it's preparing us if what Isaiah is about to tell us about the kingdom of Messiah, when this prophecy is fulfilled, then we will need those skills. We will need to be able to hear a case. We'll need to be able to hear a dispute, hear a question uh, that somebody from the nations might bring to us, to Jerusalem, uh, or maybe he'll even send us out to that place. Who knows how all that's going to work? Because we know the Torah is going to go forth from Jerusalem. It could be that some people are actually sent out rather than the people coming up. But we know the hard cases will come up. The, the difficult ones won't stay out in the nations at that time. We need to have an answer because we have studied and uh, committed ourselves to the word and being a kingdom of priests and judges as it was established in the wilderness during the time of Moses. So here's what Isaiah 2, 2 through 6 says. And just as you're reading this, envision that time in the Messianic kingdom where the 12 tribes of Israel will be judging from Jerusalem. It says, now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. Remember on your, your prophecy glossary, mountains can represent nations. Mountains can represent nations. So add that to your glossary if you've started one. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it. So you can even see within the same sentence, it's affirming what the mountain is. Um, the mountain of the house of Adonai is going to be raised above the, the nations, and the nations will stream to it. They will go up to Jerusalem for judgment. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth, the law will go forth from Zion, the Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. The Torah is a light, the commandment is a lamp. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences from the east, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. So it sounded all lovely starting out. Oh, yeah, we're going to be judges in Jerusalem and, and peoples are going to come up and King Messiah is going to reign and to rule and uh, we're going to help him to render decisions for many peoples. But he's saying, you know what? You can miss this, this privilege. It doesn't mean there's not room for you. It just means that you can't be trusted as a judge. You're, you're not going to basically be uh, elected <laughs> To, to the judge uh, position, because why? You abandon your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences from the east. They're soothsayers. So he's saying, if we are holding to sorcery, if we are resorting to the principalities and powers of the nations, then he's just abandoning us. Um, because rather than realizing who we were as a precious people, um, rather than 
being able to pray like Yeshua, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We have not prepared ourselves for that position. There's nothing really on our resume except under pressure, I buckled. Under pressure, I tried to find a different way to get my way. If Adonai wouldn't let me have my way, I would go and I would find some principality or power who would. Um, and in our generation, we don't necessarily turn to, you know, little gods and goddesses that we might have in our house. Um, it doesn't mean that that we're not turning to um, some of the Eastern arts and mysticism. It doesn't mean that uh, we're replacing the word with uh, meditation and all sorts of things. There's hardly anything you can do nowadays. I mean, even your, your insurance company is trying to force yoga on you and meditation and all this stuff. But uh, it's scriptural. We pray. You know, we meditate upon the word. Every good thing he's given us in his word. Why in the world would we turn to the influences from the East? Uh, because often if we meditate upon his word and we pray his word, it's going to bring about a change in us. It's going to be difficult. Whereas the Eastern is basically going to uh, make you feel at peace with yourself when it's part of yourself that the Holy Spirit's trying to get rid of. <laughs> There's some part of you that you've adopted into your life. He's like, no, you need to just send that child on. I mean, you struck a, a bargain with a foreigner, all right? Get rid of that part of who you are. It is not consistent with who you are as a king, a priest, a holy nation, right? So that was just our preface. I thought this week it was important for us to do the, the warm-up work here um, of reading through the, the context of the scriptures. I mean, word, word for word, instead of just kind of referring to them and expecting that you have already read the Torah portion where maybe you're not. I don't know what time zone you're in. So like I say, I want to, this is footsteps of Messiah and our focus this week and next week and possibly the next is to see how these footsteps of Messiah are beginning to uh, shake principalities and powers in high places. And so if they are shaking principalities and powers in high places, I think it's important for us to know how those things function because we can make mistakes. Like I said, we can go around arguing with the devil and casting stuff out that, you know, Adonai put there. <laughs> On the other hand, there might be a time when we need to take authority over something, but we need to discern what authority we do have. If we sense that we're dealing with something that has crossed into a realm that is not assigned to it, it's this is our realm, you need to get out of it. You know, the creator, he established our realm. And if you're from another realm, you got to go. All right, you're not assigned here. And, and you clearly know that from scripture, you may have to speak into that situation. So the more we understand about that realm without just becoming fascinated and improperly crossing into it, uh, I think the better we're going to be prepared to avoid the mistake in Revelation where many are going to worship the image of the beast because they're going to be deceived. He is going to look like he has power. He's going to look like a miracle worker and a wonder worker. We have to know the difference. And so that's hopefully what we're accomplishing here is we're acquiring a competence in understanding the principalities and powers and understand that they are just divinely created, appointed beings. They have their things to do and we have our things to do. But if we don't know the word inside and out, we're about to head into a tough time during the footsteps of Messiah because all this stuff has to be shaken up and brought down in order for Israel to rise up and take their place in Jerusalem and begin to judge the nations as it was originally uh, planned rather than having to put these other entities into place because Israel would not do her job. Okay, so this is part one. And we'll start with another scripture here. This is Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. And I know you all know this one, but in light of what we just read in the Torah portion, let's read it. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the adversary, the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers 
against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, other realms. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Right? And you notice I put a big X over the Roman armor, the Roman helmet, the Roman armor things that they put on their breastplate and all that. I put a big X over it because when we read that passage, if, if we keep reading it, it talks about the helmet of salvation and so forth. We tend to envision our, our heavenly authority and our heavenly protection as somehow dressed up like a Roman soldier. And I'm sure Paul did that for a reason as a contrast, but instead of contrasting, sometimes we tend to conflate and put the two things together. By no means should you ever put on Roman armor. And by Roman armor, we mean Esau's armor. Uh, remember, Rome is called the red one, like Esau. He's Edom. And so the last thing we want is to wear this earthly materialistic armor. Instead, we need spiritual armor because we're not battling against flesh and blood. We need to see that better as a contrast. Your, your problem is not in the physical world. It feels very much like the problem's coming from the physical world, but the problem's actually coming from the spiritual world, principalities and powers, world forces of darkness, and how sometimes their agendas are at cross purposes, and you might be standing in the way of their agenda. See, and if we know the characteristics of angels, then it helps us to understand why uh, an angel might cause you a problem, just like with Daniel. Um, the prince of Persia was an appointed prince over an empire, but he was causing Daniel a problem when Daniel prayed. And so we'll, over the next week or two, we'll, we'll break that down and say, well, why was that happening? Why was that allowed to happen? Well, it's because the, the created nature of angels, they work a little bit differently. All right. So let's just kind of back up a little bit, because I think there's something back here in Ephesians that will tell us a little bit more about what it means to prevail or to win the battle. He says, um, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to res resist on the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. This is how you win the battle. Uh, there's a great song out right now. This is how I fight my battles. Um, how do you fight your battles? Because if we think of Jacob wrestling with the angel all night, often we have in the back of our minds that like it was some sort of jujitsu match. You know, they were doing judo or something, <laughs> MMA, you know, <laughs> they were slugging one another. That's not how you fight an angel. Uh, remember, it's, a, it's something from another realm. At first, he's called a man, and he's perceived as a human being, apparently, at the beginning of the, the battle. But then Jacob realizes, wait a minute, no, this is an angel. This is coming from another realm. And so, obviously, it wasn't a wrestling match the way we would think of it. How do you prevail in a battle like that? How do you go from Jacob to Israel? You stand. You don't give up. That's how you prevail. You just stand firm. And that's exactly what we have to do. I mean, and so often we feel like we're in a battle and I should be doing something because every day I get up and it feels like the adversary has thrown a new dart. It feels like the adversary has launched a new arrow or the adversary is launching multiple arrows at one time on one day. You know, uh, I've joked before that I think all your appliances and cars they have a meeting one night and they just kind of divvy it up and say, okay, who's going to break down on what day this week? Because it just seems it clusters up like that, doesn't it? Uh, I don't think, I don't actually think that they have a meeting. They probably just send memos to each other. But at any rate, it, it feels as though everything's beyond your control. Like all of a sudden the world's turned against you. The appliances are turned against you. The car is turned against you. Your boss is turned against you. Your coworkers are turned against you. Your children are turned against you. What's going on there? Yeah, you are in a battle. But remember, you're just looking at the human face of it or the appliance face of it. But appliances are from a fallen world like we are, and they just break down. With human beings, sometimes... 
there's things going on that you're not aware of. And you don't have to be aware of them. That's the great thing. You don't have to try to figure out why they're acting like that. And now if it would be useful in terms of a conflict resolution, sure. But sometimes you just know you're under attack. It's not a time for negotiation. And you feel like you should take up a sword and start hitting back. And in fact, Paul's saying, stand there. You just stand there. You have every piece of spiritual equipment you need. And you just stand there. And you may not feel like it. You may not think like it. But what's actually happening if if you will just stand there and refuse to budge from your place, eventually you will realize that the heavens are fighting for you. Just like Daniel found out, you know, Gabriel is trying to get the message through. It took Michael to help him get the message through. The the heavenly forces will begin to move into place to protect you. So how are you fighting that battle? Are you using ugly words back? Are you sabotaging? You know, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing anything other than using these tools that Paul was talking about, you know, the helmet of salvation, your faith, the sword of the word. These are the sorts of things. You don't do things back in the natural world necessarily. Now, if you're under a physical attack, sure, defend yourself. But we're talking about, you know, different kind of battle here. And so you hold your place and keep telling yourself it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't sound like it. But actually, there are heavenly forces on my side. And they are fighting this battle in a way that I can't by fighting back in the natural realm. I am fighting this battle in a spiritual realm by just standing firm on my conviction, standing firm on my faith. If I will stand right there, this situation really isn't beyond my control. The deceiver wants to tell me it's beyond my control. It's not beyond your control. You just stand confidently in your salvation. That makes sense. All right, so let's let's move on from there, and let's go back to numbers, numbers twenty four, five, and six. And this is a case where Israel didn't know they were already in a battle. Do you remember this when uh, Balak hired Bilam to curse Israel, and Israel's just out there camping in the wilderness, you know, having a good time out in the wilderness and and getting along. <laughs> temporarily. Uh, It's all good. You know, they're just enjoying the wilderness and uh, doing whatever they did for 40 years in the wilderness. And they don't realize it, but there's principalities and powers out there attacking them through human beings. Yes, through a sorcerer. Well, actually two sorcerers. Uh, Balak was a different kind. And you can go back in our archives and find a like kind of an analysis of the two different kinds of sorcerers that Balak and Balaam were. But they have human beings who are acting, um, again, principalities and powers are behind this because they are sorcerers. However, in spite of two sorcerers ganging up on Israel without their knowledge, you have to wonder, did they feel anything when Balak and Balaam were out there building their altars and trying to curse and do all that? Sometimes we're just oblivious, and maybe that's the best thing. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't always be on our guard. And so Balaam realizes he cannot curse Israel. He can't do it. Every time he opens his mouth, something good comes out, a blessing comes out. And so we're all familiar with this one. How pleasant are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Makes you think of the Garden of Eden. Gardens beside a river, there were rivers in Eden. And so Bilam is forced to see Israel in their inheritance, risen up into the Garden of Eden, risen up to that place where they were going to judge the nations risen up to that place where they can pass between the natural and the spiritual worlds like Yeshua. And all he can say is, wow, how pretty that is, <laughs> how pleasant that is. I, he says, I hope my end is like theirs, which it won't be, because um, he's a sorcerer. He tried to um, blur the lines 
on the assigned realms. But in that same passage, that very same passage, we have this. We have, for there is no divination in Jacob. There is no divination in Jacob. Remember, this is the content of the Torah portion. You're not supposed to be practicing divination. And so Balak and Balaam, they're blessing Israel, and they're being forced to say the words that accuse them, that basically are their adversary, their devil. For there is no divination in Jacob. At the very time it's coming out of his mouth, Balaam has to realize he is a diviner. Well, Balak was a diviner. Balaam was a sorcerer. <laughs> uh, professionals. But there is no divination in Jacob. How did they attain to that place of the garden with the rivers running through it? How did they attain to that place of Jerusalem? Well, they attained to that place, again, because there was no divination. There was no blurring the lines. And so within that, that, that next verse in that passage, there is no divination in Jacob. Behold, the people will arise like a lion cub and raise itself like a lion. It will not lie down until it consumes its prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Now, this is not literal, by the way. <laughs> They're not literally going to drink anybody's blood. It's a, it's a metaphoric expression. But when there is no divination in Jacob, when that, that divination of self-will and power-seeking when that is no longer found in Jacob, then it's going to rise up like a lion cup, like a lion. They are going to be like their king Messiah. And therefore, they will be able to rule and reign with him. You know, the lion might be the king of the jungle, but Yeshua is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How will we reign with the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Then we will study this Torah portion about the judges. We will learn what is required to remove divination from our midst. So this ultimate battle of the ages, it's going to be won by warriors who are not using divination for the fight. What are they doing? When they are fighting in their appointed realm, when they are fighting in their appointed calling, they stand. They stand. When you stand, you fight like a lion, because that's all you have to do is let the lion of the tribe of Judah fight for you. And that's kind of the deal. He's, he's obligated himself to do it. If you will obligate yourself to stay away from divination, if you will obligate yourself to prepare yourself in the word with it is written, then he will fulfill his obligation. You know, the adversary might be going around as a roaring lion, but he ain't no lion like the lion of Judah. There's a difference, and we will be like him. Uh, so going back to a previous newsletter, if you get our newsletter, that's that's great. If you don't get the newsletter, if you don't need another email in your box, you can always go to our website, www.thecreationgospel.com, and go to our archives. And that's updated about once a month. Uh, but especially with the footsteps series, I thought for some people it might be beneficial just to print out the newsletter rather than depend on, on the live stream, because there's some things often I'll leave it out in the live stream. And it might be that the, the written, the newsletter will help fill in some of those gaps for you. And it gives you more time, I think, to read through the, you know, the, the scripture passages as well and kind of sort through your thoughts. But in a previous newsletter we did, which was called The Dust of Jacob, we took an in-depth look at this all-night wrestling match, which remember, it's just basically just stand on your convictions, stand on your faith. Jacob had this all-night battle with Esau's angel. Um, and that's, the, of course, the Jewish viewpoint. Could there be another viewpoint? Sure, there could. We don't want to argue that. But let's just say this viewpoint is accurate, that somehow Jacob was wrestling all night with Esau's guardian angel. and. In that particular newsletter, we took a look at how delicate the relationship is when we're talking about how human beings and other created beings 
interact or shouldn't interact. And these other created beings, we usually refer to them as angels or in Hebrew, malachim, malachim. What is a malachim? Now, it might go by different names too in scripture. Um, an angel or a malach might be referred to as an Elohim, which also means a judge, like not with the big E, with the small E. And that's, you know, Yeshua got into a hermeneutics discussion uh, with the Judeans at Hanukkah in the Gospel of John. And he says, you're not applying the, the hermeneutics right here because Elohim, Elohim can mean Elohim, the creator, big E. Elohim can also mean uh, small E, judges, angels, other created beings, magistrates, and so forth. At any rate, when we improperly interact with those created but appointed beings. Remember, they have their assigned authority. They have their assigned job. You know, and we might be running up against a principality or power in some instances, and, and maybe just just doing my job, just doing my job. You're like, well, that's not helping me. Just doing my job. Better pray because <laughs> I'm doing my job. Because if we will pray, then that can be overridden like we see in the case of Daniel and the Prince of Persia and, and Michael and Gabriel. But these beings, they each have a strictly assigned realm of operation. And we're told very clearly, just like we read into our portion of Shoptim, we're not supposed to cross these boundaries. Because if we cross those boundaries, number one, we're, we're stepping into idolatry. Because idolatry is going to happen the moment you do something he told you not to do. You knew he told you not to do it, and you did it anyway. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. There's an equivalency there. So you have your assigned realm. Stay in it. That's why if, if you're dealing with things, if you're 100% sure you're correct, and you need to invoke the authority, the name of Yeshua, that's what you do. But it kind of goes back to like when they were contending for the body of Moses, the angel says, the Lord rebuke you. Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The angel won't even directly rebuke an adversarial being. This adversarial being might have been dispatched to take Moses' body back or his, his soul to the realm of death, but uh, the angel, this angel might have been assigned to take him to Abraham's bosom. So there's a conflict here. Does the angel wield his own authority and power, or does he invoke the authority and power of the one who sent him on this message and say, hey, look, I know you know you normally take possession of a soul from a body, but this is coming from the throne itself and, and it's overriding. So he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You're, you're functioning as an adversary and, and you have to submit to the throne. But if we improperly interact with those beings, we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble. Um, Often you run into people who want to communicate with someone in another realm, especially, you know, the realm of the dead, which came up in the Torah portion, or they want to tap into the energy of another realm. Is there a, a knowledge out there in those other realms? Sure. They know things we don't know. However, it doesn't mean that you have permission to tap into that realm in order to acquire some secret knowledge or some special knowledge like Simon the Sorcerer. And he's like, sell me this power. I want this power. Why? Because it began was for self-exaltation, self-promotion. And when we're tapping into those realms, number one, it's idolatry and rebellion. And number two, it's pride because we want to lift ourselves up above someone else and wield power over them. And so as, if we're trying to tap into those realms, then we're falling into the area of sorcery and divination. That's strictly prohibited in scripture, and there is no wiggle room on that. None. If the father wants to take you into another realm, he will take you into another realm. But you're not supposed to be learning incantations, secret arts, meditations, and blah, blah, blah from the children of the East. No, you don't do that. That's rebellion. That's idolatry. Kind of going back to the dust of Jacob, that particular lesson, there, the, remember there was the rabbinic viewpoint that the angel that, that Jacob struggled with all night was Esau's angel. Why? Why did he 
persist in asking for a blessing. When you say, I'm not going to let you go. Well, (laughs) probably the angel wouldn't have had any problem disengaging. But again, it's a spiritual battle. So you don't fight it the same. You stand firm. You stand stubbornly on your faith. And on this particular point, Jacob stood firm. I want your blessing. Bless me first. Why does he need that? Remember, he's tricked his father. He, he posed as Esau and tricked his father into giving him blessing. Now, did he legitimately trade for the birthright? Sure. Esau gave it up for something material, something to eat. But as it concerned the blessing, which allows you to basically execute the birthright, it was through trickery. 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 And so what does Jacob want here? If this is Esau's angel, remember, he's not struggling against Esau. He's struggling against principalities and powers in high places. And so as Esau has elected to tap into the energy of this other realm in order to exalt himself in the the physical natural world, Jacob might look at his brother as the adversary, but it's actually his brother has tapped into this. And so he, he says, okay, you came to me. I didn't go to you. You came into my realm. I'm not going to stop standing on this until you give me a blessing because he wants it legitimately. He doesn't want it through deceit. And if he's going to get the blessing to go with the birthright, he got it from his father, but Esau needs to release it. And is it Esau who needs to release it or is it Esau's angel? If that's the pattern, then Esau's angel could release that blessing. Why? Because Esau has placed himself under the control of that realm, principalities and powers in high places. And so he says, I want you to bless me. I want you to release that blessing. My father gave it to me. I want you to release it so that it's rightfully mine. I want you to relinquish it. Just like the prince of Persia, he had to relinquish to Gabriel and to Michael the prophecy to be able to carry the prophecy uh, and the message through to Daniel in answer to his prayer. And in fact, the next day, when Jacob meets Esau face to face, what does he say to Esau? He says, for I see your face as one sees the face of God or Elohim, and you have received me favorably. Uh, And that's the question. See, in Hebrew, you don't have capital letters and small letters. You have barely a gap between words. Uh, You don't have these vowels in the original text. And so you're kind of left to the context to figure out, is he talking about the face of Elohim, the creator? Or is he saying your face is like the face of Elohim, your angel that I fought with all night long? Because it's said that your your guardian angel resembles you somehow, or maybe you resemble the angel. I don't know how that works exactly, but that's that's kind of something that's been passed down uh, in Jewish tradition that your guardian angel has your appearance in some ways. And so this is what Jacob says to Esau: I see your face like the face of Elohim, and you've received me favorably. It's like Jacob is saying, "Hey, it worked." You know, I wouldn't let go of your guardian angel until he legitimately released me the blessing. And what's just happened? Esau accepted all these natural material gifts of wealth from Jacob. Remember the, the sheep and the donkeys and the camels and the, the goats and, and all this, the, the cows, the cattle that Jacob sent ahead to Esau. He said, why is he sending that stuff to Esau? If it all belongs to him, if he gets the blessing, then why is he sending it to Esau? Remember, Esau, he made a bargain for natural material wealth. Jacob was bargaining for spiritual wealth. And so he, he, you know, asked Esau's angel to bless him. Okay, you're blessed. And now your name is going to change from Jacob to Israel because it changes your whole future. It changes everything for your descendants. It really opens the way to resurrection. It, it takes this promise of resurrection one step farther because now your sons will be the 12 tribes of Israel. Your sons, your, your 12 tribes will be those who judge from the 12 gates of Jerusalem and it will be part of the restoration of the earth. 
and going back to the original plan in the garden. And so when Jacob says, I see your face like the face of Elohim, and you have received me favorably, it's like, wow, you know, your angel did really look like you. And guess what? You took my gifts. So it sealed the deal. I now have the birthright and the blessing that's going to enable my descendants, the 12 tribes, to arise from the dead, to resurrect from the dead. And of course, from the tribe of Judah is going to come the line of Messiah, which is pretty awesome. So that's just, I mean, you don't have to accept that. That's one way of looking at those passages, especially since we know that, you know, we're told that we can't see the face of God and live. Why would Jacob say something like this? Unless it it does have something to do with, again, the principalities and powers in high places that we're struggling against when we think we're struggling against a human being. And so Jacob's like, hey, it worked. You know, you took you took the gifts that I sent to you to seal the deal. It's and it's a favorable thing. You're not trying to kill me. But the the wealth to Jacob, the blessing of the wealth of Jacob is something that would be realized thousands of years later. Not that his descendants haven't prospered, many of them have, but the true wealth of Israel, the true blessing, it's only going to be revealed during the reign of Messiah. And so at the resurrection, when we are resurrected with Messiah, that's when we're truly going to see the force of the blessing that was transacted right here in the meeting between Jacob and Esau. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.